Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. You know, I love a comeback story. In 2002, I'm an Angels fan. I think that's an oxymoron at this point. It was 2002. I was praying, Lord, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. So I know you own some World Series tickets. And I pray that you'd send some my way. The phone rang during the week, and there was a guy in the church I was serving in who said, hey, what are you doing tonight? I said, uh, he's like, do you want two tickets to game six? And I said, I can't afford those. He said, no, I'm giving them to you. I said, really? Yeah. My son, my older son, Austin, and I, we went to the game. And I'll tell you what, for the first seven innings, it was depressing. (laughs) And I see all these Giants fans around me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to deal with these people at the end if we're going to lose because we're going to lose the World Series. It was depressing. And then the bottom of the seventh came. And Scott Spezio hit that home run. And I watched it go. And I was like, wow, we have a chance. We came back and won six to five. And the next game, seven, we won the series. That's one of the greatest comebacks of all time. And I got to be a part of it. But you know what's an even greater comeback of all time? Is how God is going to do what he said he's going to do with Israel. Because he always keeps his promises. See, Revelation is the greatest comeback story ever. Just when you thought we were sunk, just when you thought the devil was going to get everything and we were going to get nothing, God turns it around in the bottom of the seventh inning and we come back and we win. That's the greatest comeback story of all time. We're going to talk about how Jesus came for the lost sheep of Israel, but they rejected him. And because of their rejection, God turned that around. And we, Gentiles, and we, unbelievers, got to be a part of God's tree. And we got grafted into the tree of Israel, the tree of God's people, the tree of faith. And there's a remnant, we're going to use that word today, a remnant of believers that will include believers from Israel and believers who are not Jews. That's what forms the church. So today, part four, Revelation, God's end time plan. We're going to talk about Israel, but let's remember the key verse to Revelation to unlocking how it flows is verse 19 in chapter one, where it says, write the things seen, the things which are, and the things to come. The things seen was John's revelation of Jesus Christ in chapter one. The things which are is the church age that we live in currently, chapters two and three. Chapter four begins the things to come, which is the rapture. Uh, Chapter five is the great opening of the deed, the deed to the world that only Jesus, the lamb, could open it and the seven seals on that deed. And then chapter six begins the great day of the Lord, the day of God's wrath, the wrath of the lamb. And that is the continuation of the unsealing of those seven seals as God is taking back what is his. And then now chapter seven, the scene switches to Israel. So let's talk about Israel because there's some confusion 
Some people believe certain things that some people believe God is finished with Israel. Um, Others like me believe God is not finished with Israel because of the promises that he made to them. So number one, Israel is God's witness during the great tribulation. During the great tribulation, when we, the church, are in heaven, guess who's witnessing? Guess who takes the mantle of witnessing for Christ? The 144,000. It begins with them. I believe that the church is raptured before this point. That's called a pre-tribulation view of the rapture. The great tribulation, the purpose for that, is the redeeming of Israel and the judgment of an unbelieving world. Up until this point, it's the church who are called to witness to Christ, to be a light to the world, to go and preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we're left here to do. And that's the church age, which we currently live. But once the church is finished doing our role, our job, God's purpose on earth, the mantle of Christ is given now to Israel to be the witness. Which, by the way, Israel was the witness of God. I mean, that God called Israel out of Egypt to become a kingdom of priests, to worship him only, to serve him, and to be a witness to the world. And that's the same thing with the church, that we are called to be a kingdom of priests, to be a light to the world, and to witness to the world. So it begins with this remnant of 144,000 Jews that come to faith during the Great Tribulation. And the Great Tribulation, again, is in the future. Uh, the last seven years before Jesus returns and takes back what's his. Now, open your Bible to Revelation chapter 7. And how does it begin? After this. There's a lot of things like this in Revelation after this. So what after what? Well, the previous passage is about the great day of the wrath of the Lamb and who is able to stand. Nobody can withstand it. So now it switches. That was what we're seeing in heaven. Now it switches to earth. And John the Apostle says, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Now, obviously, that phrase is still used today, but it doesn't mean, you know, people would say, oh, we live in a flat earth. That's not what it's meaning. It means that it covers all the earth, the four corners of the earth. And what are the angels doing? They're holding back the four winds. Now, that's an interesting thing. Does it mean like actual wind? Or it could mean, and this is what I think it means, the four horsemen. Remember the four horsemen of the apocalypse that were sent out at the beginning of chapter 6? In Zechariah, he actually refers to them as the four winds. I think this means that God is holding back those four horses or horsemen who are going to do things to the earth until his people are sealed. But verse 2, it says, And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, which is the east, having the seal of the living God, which means ownership. A seal is a sign of ownership. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees. So don't harm all of God's creation until what? We have sealed the bondservants 
of our God on their foreheads. So what's happening? God is holding back his wrath until his people who are left on earth that are going to be his witnesses have the seal of God on their foreheads. And also plan words there because who is it that's going to seal the unbelievers on their foreheads with a mark? The beast. And we're going to talk about him next week, the Antichrist and the ruler of the world. There's going to be a mark either on their hands or on their foreheads that mark them as being owned by the devil. Let's look at that verse again in verse 4, because that's an important one. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Now, contrary to what Jehovah Witness teaches, the 144,000 here are from Israel. Now, people, they'll get all caught up in symbolism and, and say, well, is it Israel? Or is it like the church? Because some believe the church is spiritual Israel. I think it means Israel. Why? (laughs) Because then he lists the 12 tribes of Israel, which we do not belong to. Only if you're Jewish would you belong to these tribes. That's why it's important to understand God's plan for the end time. And by the way, one time I asked a Jehovah's Witness, I said, well, don't you think it's full by now? Like, because there's only 144,000 that get to heaven. And they said, well, here's how it works. We can take the place of somebody who's there if we do better things. I'm like, wow, that's a risk. <laughs> that's pretty risky theology. I wouldn't go down that road. Now, turn to Matthew. There's an important part here where Jesus is speaking about what's happening during this time in Revelation 7. He starts in chapter 24. So turn to Matthew 24, and in verse 15, Jesus is speaking this thousands of years ago, and he's speaking about a time to come. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, who is that? That's the Antichrist. That's the beast, okay, which was spoken through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, Jerusalem, Let the reader understand. Now, this is important for context. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountain. So he's speaking specifically about Israel here. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down. Whoever's in the field, you don't have time to get your coat. And woe to those who are pregnant in those days because it's going to be horrible. But pray that your flight, your travel will not be in the winter because it'll be cold, or on Sabbath, because everything's closed. Keep that in mind when we're talking about Revelation 7. This is all having to do with Israel. And then in verse 21, then there will be a great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. It's the worst time to be left on the earth. Those who are left behind will be going through hell. But here's something important that Jesus said. On verse 22, unless those days had been shortened, no life would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Who's the elect? Well, we, the church, can be called the elect, but who's Jesus speaking about here? I think he's speaking about the 144,000 
plus the others who will come to faith by their witness. Because this is all having to do with Israel. It's important to get your context correct. Now, because of the testimony of these faithful witnesses, many other people will come to faith in Christ during the Great Tribulation, which is good. But you don't want to be left here. You want to come to faith now during the church age, the age of grace, because it's going to get bad. So go back to Revelation 7 to verse 9. Again, after these things. What things? The 144,000 get saved. They're marked with God's seal of ownership. I looked, and behold, now it switches back to heaven. A great multitude, too many to count, from every nation, every tribe, every language, standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, Jesus Christ, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hand, which means victory. And they cry out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, or salvation comes from God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Jesus. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell on their face before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then verse 13. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, John, these who are clothed in the white robes, John, who are they? Where they come from? And John says, my Lord, or you're an authority, you know better than I do. And then the angel, the elder says, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. So these are the saints that get saved during the great tribulation. And a lot of it is due, obviously, to these 144,000 Jews who are carrying the mantle of witness to Christ, because we're already there, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Isn't that awesome? In order to become white and pure, you have to be covered in red the blood of the Lamb. And for this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve God day and night. And he who sits on the throne will spread his shelter over them. And then verse 16, they won't hunger anymore. They won't thirst anymore. They won't be worn down by the hot sun. So all this stuff that's going on on the earth, they had to go through. They got saved. They're in heaven for the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of water of life that are free, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. And that verse beckons back to Ezekiel and Isaiah. So any person who would know the Old Testament, especially a Jew, would read that and go, wow, that's referring to us, if God opens their eyes. So that's why it's important. It's important to understand the context of Scripture, and what's going on. Next, Israel is not the church, and the church is not Israel. So what do I mean by that? Well, there's some who believe that the church replaced Israel. That's something called replacement theology. And they believe that the church is spiritual Israel. Well, they're wrong. God is not done with Israel. And you know why they're wrong? Because the Apostle Paul agrees with me. I agree with him. 
Because he spends three chapters in Romans 9 through 11 writing about this great comeback. So if it wasn't going to happen, if the church took Israel's place, then why is Paul writing about a comeback of Israel? The nation of Israel. And we see this being fulfilled in Revelation chapter 7 and continuing through the end of Revelation. See, Israel and the church are two entities that have their own destinies. Now, can a Jew become a believer and become part of the church? Yes. We, the church, have been saved by faith in Christ. We've been redeemed, purchased by his blood, and we are sealed with his spirit. So we're not sealed here, we're sealed in here, and it's a done deal. Now, Israel, as with any other unbeliever, outside of Christ, are destined to eternal death. That's unless the Jew comes to faith in Christ. That's known as a Messianic Jew. And these are the part of the remnant, the elect, who will be saved. And once a person is saved, once a person receives God's Spirit by faith in Christ, you are a new creation. And you become a part of a new entity, the church, the body of Christ, the family of God, without distinction. That's why Galatians 3, Paul writes, There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the key. If a Jew comes to Christ in faith, he becomes in Christ Jesus. When we come to Christ in faith, we are in Christ Jesus. That's why we are white, because we're covered with the blood of the Lamb. We've been forgiven. But that only happens through faith in Christ. There's no other way to achieve this. And those who are outside of Christ, whether Jew, Greek, male, female, are outside of God's family. Now, this is exactly why Israel got mad at Jesus. The contention there. Because in John, we read that when he was, Jesus was speaking, the Jewish leaders would say, hey, hang on a second. We're sons of Abraham, which is important because Abraham is the father of faith. And Abraham, God said, by your seed, I will multiply the earth. So they're thinking, hey, I'm Jewish. I'm Israeli. I'm a part of God's family automatically because I'm the seed of Abraham. But here's the issue that that brings up. Because the seed of Abraham is Christ. And those who are not of Christ are not of the spiritual seed of Abraham. So, yes, technically, they were physically sons of Abraham, but not spiritually by faith. That's why Paul writes in Galatians, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Okay, so a Jew would go, yeah, that's me. I'm part of the seed. But <laughs> Paul makes it so clear. Scripture does not say to seeds, meaning many people. Scripture says to your seed, and he makes it very clear, meaning one person who is Jesus Christ. So the only way you can be of the seed of Abraham and be saved is be of Christ. 
And here's the sad part. The very person Israel rejected was the very person Israel needed. So when anyone rejects the seed of Abraham, Christ, the Son of God, we reject God's salvation. But here's the other part of it, and this is how God turns around everything for good. Israel's rejection put into motion God's plan for the world. Look at John 3.16. Read it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And I find it interesting. I pick these things up. I don't know if there's anything there, but Galatians 3.16 speaks of the seed, meaning Christ, and John 3.16 speaks of the Son, being Christ. Okay? And this opened up the door for us to become a part of God's seed, his family, his offspring. So when Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, verse 17, something very important, he says, some of the branches were broken off. He's speaking of Israel. And you, to the church, being a wild olive shoot, were wild. We have a lot of olive trees in our neighborhood. When I run by, you can see these olive shoots that have broken off, and then they grow next to the tree. Have you seen that? Little, little olive shoots growing up. That's what we are. But here's the thing. Because some of the branches, Israel, were broken off, we, as wild as we were, were grafted into the tree. And we became partaker with them. And that word partaker, koinonia, fellowship with God's people, you have to look at those two words, with them. That, to me, says <laughs> there's two entities. We with them. And we are now rich, a rich root of the olive tree. We have become a part of the olive tree, which is the root of salvation. That's why Jesus said something really important. He said salvation comes from the Jews. That's how God did it. Through the Jews, through Jesus. There's no other way. So we got grafted into that olive tree. That's an amazing thing. And we have become a member of the remnant, those who believe. And here's the other part. We could not do this on our own. Only God could do this. And that's amazing grace. And then third, Israel will be redeemed as God promised. Aren't you glad that God always keeps his promises? What if he said something and we had to doubt it or go, well, is he going to come through? God, it's the seventh inning. Are you going to come through here? Well, we can always count on it. Turn to Romans. Let's look at it. Romans chapter 11. And this is where Paul the apostle speaks that God has not rejected his people. Romans chapter 11. Look what Paul says. Has God rejected his people? May it never be. It's not going to happen. For I, Paul says, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin, a very important tribe. And God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew or foreordained. Or do you not know that the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, and then Paul uses the example of Elijah, where Elijah was running from Jezebel and the false prophets trying to kill him. Hundreds of prophets coming after him. Prophets of Baal. 
the God of Baal. And in verse 3, he says, Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. And I alone am left. It's depressing. And they're seeking my life. But the comeback. But what is the divine response to Elijah? God says, I've kept for myself 7,000 men that you don't know about, and they haven't bowed to the knee of Baal. So Elijah, it's not about you. You're not alone. And then Paul writes, if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Now jump to verse 11. I say then, did Israel stumble so far that God can't redeem him? No, never be. But here's the thing. Because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles, to us, to make them jealous. You know, like that irritating feeling that you have in the back of your mind? I'm sure that it goes through people like, what's up with that? They're not good people. Look at them. The church, look at those people. They're failures. That's the beautiful thing. It's not about us. We're wild shoots. God, by his grace, put us in the tree, not us. But that's what we're supposed to show the world. Jump down to 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, here's where Paul gets really straight with us, the church. And you, being a wild olive shoot, were grafted into God's tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches, Israel. And if you are arrogant, Remember that it's not you who supports the tree, the root, but the root supports you. Salvation comes from the Jews. And you will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Wow, look at me. You're quite right, Paul says. They were broken off in their unbelief, and you stand by your faith. So don't be conceited, but fear God. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. What does that mean? Well, don't take God's grace for granted. Be humble. Be grateful. Show the world that it's not about you. When someone says, well, you're a failure. You know what? I am. I mess up. But Christ saved me. I am not wearing a white robe because of me. I'm wearing a white robe because of what he did for me. Do you want that too? You can have that right now. You can pray and receive Christ and receive God's forgiveness and be covered in his blood and turn white as snow before God. You might be feeling like, I'm a horrible person, or I'm a doubter like Thomas, or I'm a murderer like Paul, or I'm a fisherman with a foul mouth, and every other minute I'm speaking stupid things coming out of my mouth like Peter, or whatever. God saved them. God saved us. We're the elect. That's the greatest comeback. It's not like we got up to bat and we're some great power hitter and we're like batting 400. No, we're batting like 126 and we have an ERA of 10.5 and the ball just went through our legs and the winning run scored. Not the winning run because the game's not done. The game's not done. Don't take grace for granted. Aren't you glad God never goes back on his word? Look at Romans eleven twenty nine, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Irrevocable. 
Sadly, Israel had a chance to accept their Messiah when he first came. And I feel for those today who have rejected Christ and we are living in the age of grace. Because here's what's going to happen. Revelation chapters 8 and 9 speak of unfathomable events. No one can withstand them. But somehow God protects his elect. But here's the thing. You don't want to be here. You want to be elected now. You're choosing to come about now. Accept Christ now. Because many will die by the hand of their oppressors. You see how the world can change on a dime so quickly, right? I mean, I'm thinking about this. One day in 2019 is a normal day, and the next day in 2020, everything changes. And it's always God's people who are persecuted the most. It's not as if Jesus didn't warn us. But we forget, because we're not of this world. The world hates us. And we begin to take God's grace for granted. One day in the near future, everything's going to change. The true church, those who are part of the root of Israel, will leave this earth and be with Jesus. The remnant will be caught up with him in the air to be with him forever. And that moment, everything will change. And you know what's going to change the most? The restrainer, the Holy Spirit, the one who dwells in the church, will depart with the church. And then... All hell will break loose because there'll be nothing to restrain evil. Think about it. The only reason it's not worse is because the Holy Spirit is restraining it through the church. But when the church wimps out, the world suffers. We can't wimp out. We got to take our swing. We got to get up to bat, man. It's the bottom of the seventh inning. Thank God, God keeps his promises. He's going to save the people he's elected. And we are the remnant with Israel. And we become a complete tapestry, a beautiful workmanship that Jesus has put together and assembled. In Romans 9.27, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it's the remnant that will be saved. It's not about physical relation to Abraham. It's about spiritual relation to Christ, the seed of Abraham. That's how you get saved. That's how you become a part of the remnant. Romans 11.5, in the same way then, there's also come to be the present time, a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Think about that. God chose you. You were seen by the devil as trash on the side of the road. But God saw you as a beautiful remnant. The devil tried to kill, steal, and destroy you and your life. But God saved you and revived you. You were a broken, wild olive shoot on the side of the road. And God gave you life. There's nothing that can separate you from him and his love. It's the greatest comeback of all time. So what's the biggest takeaway? Understand God's plan. Understand it. Know it. Believe it. Live it. It's the bottom of the seventh. It's the greatest comeback. Jesus is coming back soon. What I'm telling you is way more important than what you're hearing on the fake news. This is the gospel, the real news. And we need to share it and we need to preach it. And then when God takes us to be with him, 
Israel, the 144,000 will take the mantle, but that's not this time. This time is you. It's me. Let's remember, not focus on where we came from, but let's remember from where we came and where we are now. It's all because of God's grace. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the greatest comeback of all time. Jesus is coming soon. It's the bottom of the seventh inning. There's still a lot of game left. I pray for us, Lord, as a church, that we will rise up and be the light of the world and that we won't let that light be hidden under a lamp that will shine it to all the people because they're wild olive shoots on the road being stampeded upon by evil people and evil entities. And Lord, we want them to be saved. We don't want to take it for granted. We don't want to become conceited. We just want to realize, Lord, that it's all because of you. It's the greatest comeback of all time. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com. Amen.